you. Thank you, worship team. Beautiful. No, I think I'm okay. So I would love to hear uh, at least one testimony from today who felt like they had a kind of moment uh, during the Psalm 23 uh, meditation or the uh, kind of allowing the Lord or, um, you know, what would you say to that little girl kind of thing? Yeah, do you want to come up again? We've got our um, very enthusiastic sharer here. Come along. So I got this earlier. I felt the Lord was telling me, um, one day you're going to have children of your own. This is what reflecting on who I am today, looking back at my old self. And then they will not ever go through what you've been through because your weaknesses and pain has become your strengths. There is no need to be afraid. Start living and don't worry. You know what you just said to me? Yeah. That's Did she just give you the same yeah. word? Wow, that's really cool. Just in case you doubt it. Just in case. Anyone else like to share? I know we're going to do testimonies tomorrow, but. Okay, come on up. Give her a clap. She's great. Okay, so um, for those of you who don't know, I'm adopted. Actually, none of you know this. I'm adopted. Sarah knows it. Chloe knows it. Yes. So I'm adopted, and I haven't talked to my birth mom in like nine-ish years. So um, you said picture a time, and I just remember finding out that she's not going to call me again because it hurt too much. So um, the what was she thinking was, when will she call, and what did I do wrong? And how was she feeling? She was feeling confused and lonely. And who does she belong to? She belongs with her dad. I've always been a daddy's girl. <laughs> um, and where does she feel most safe is alone. My parents call it hibernating. I call it like protecting myself. Who does she want? She wants her mom. And that she's beautiful and different. And if I, there was something I could say, it'd be life is hard, but it can be fun. And being close to others can hurt you. And all I wanted was an explanation and a real why. And I still haven't gotten it, and I might never, but that's okay. And then I said, God's going to make you a leader. She's not coming back, but that's because she loves you. You're going to be a singer, and your relationships will get better. little girl part that was hurting, how did it feel? Did it feel relieving? Did it, it did, feel? yeah. It felt really nice because I like tend to bury all that stuff down. I'm a person who like doesn't show her true emotions much. Yeah. Like when it comes to like hurt and everything. So it felt really nice to like finally just like let it go. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Thank you, honey. We'll do more testimonies tomorrow, but I'm I'm really finding uh, in, in my Christianity, and maybe you're finding in your Christian walk, that this faith that we have is, to me, uh, more and more the story of a father who really wants to bring us home. Yeah. And, you know, when we talked last night about this little grid over here, and it had, you know, avoidant, you know, when you hibernate, <laughs> or when you become anxious and have to be in on everything, controlling your relationships, or if you're disorganized, or if, wherever you're at, all of that stuff comes down to the same thing. All of that stuff is just the orphan narrative. And I am so glad that it says in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. And I'm so glad that we don't have to find him. Yeah. 
but he promises, I won't leave you that way. I won't leave you in your dysfunction. I will come to you. And you know, many of us wonder, how does the Father come to us? How does God really come to parent us? And many of us feel that we're trying to find God, but I want to encourage you that he's trying to find you. He's intent on finding you. And it says in the Bible that no man, no woman, no man can come to the Father unless Jesus draws them. And I remember um, a time in my life many years ago when I was kind of allowing that, you know, the little girl, the little fragmented part of me to really let some emotion process out. And it was painful. And the memory for me was um, being a little girl of about five years old, like the little girl in the red boots that I showed you this morning. And uh, my it was clear to me that my dad was leaving home. Uh, I had picked up that there was someone else that he'd met, and my dad was leaving, and it, it kind of had this feeling like, no, no, he's really leaving this time. And I remember grabbing onto his ankles and just begging him not to leave. Daddy, please don't go, please don't go. And he, I got down on the floor, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said, I'll be back before you can say Jumping Jack Flash. I'll be back before you can say Jumping Jack Flash. And I really believed him, so I let him go. And he went uh, away. And I sat um, in our front entryway, probably till it was dark, just Jumping Jack Flash, Jumping Jack Flash, Jumping Jack Flash. And then my mom put me to bed. And uh, you know, at this point, my mum was there physically, but kind of emotionally, she went somewhere else for a while. Really, for about a year or two. And my older brother was just like in the stratosphere somewhere. He just disappeared when my dad left. And I remember that night um, being on my windowsill in my room, looking down the road, because I really thought he was coming back. You know, jumping Jack Flash, jumping Jack Flash. And of course, he never came. And for me, the memory was being in that moment and all of the abandonment and the confusion and the pain of what it was to be left by the parent that you felt most attached to. And um, in that picture, in that memory, I saw Jesus come to me and he sat down next to me. It was so tender. And he just sat alongside me and he said, you know, would you like to meet my daddy? And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to meet your daddy because I'm waiting for my daddy. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, my daddy's really nice. He, he knows about you. He really likes you. He really wants to meet you. No, I don't want to meet your daddy. And in real time, this went on for, I don't know, 30 minutes. I don't remember how long. This was about 18 or 19 years ago. And just as I sat with Jesus, finally, there was this ability to say, okay, I'm going to come and meet your daddy. And Jesus took my hand and he kind of walked me out of the front porch and we went for a little walk and we came upon this house. And as we walked into the house and into the living room, there was a chair in the corner and in that chair was sitting a man who I knew was Jesus's dad. But when I walked into that room, what really caught me off guard, and this is how you can tell that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Father is really opening the eyes of your heart. And that was the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 17. Father, let the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the, in the knowledge of the Father open the eyes of their hearts so we can see him. Yes. And so I, as I'm walking into that room, I suddenly look up on the mantelpiece and here's all these photographs of me, like on stage in my play that my own dad never came to, or in my sports game that my own dad never came to, and all the things where I felt not seen and not known by my own father. He was there. He was always watching. And I saw this book on the table and I went over to the book and the first page was open and it was a picture of like an embryo in the womb. And as I looked at it, I heard the words of one, Psalm 139. In your book, all my days were written before there was yet one of them. 
And as I began to leaf through this book on the table, there was just all these times in my life where I felt alone, but the understanding that he has always been there. Yes. And it says in Deuteronomy 33:27, the eternal God is your home, and underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God, the eternal Father, the everlasting Father is really, really your home. And I was kind of, by this point, just, you know, tears were rolling down my face. And I looked, and the Father just opened his arms, and I just went to him. And although all of this was happening just in pictures inside my mind, when I went into those everlasting arms, there was a spirit of adoption that came into me in a deeper way. And I felt that I'd come home. I felt that I'd found my home in this world. And you know, Jesus wants to introduce us all to his dad. Because that father so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever should believe in him should have everlasting life with an everlasting father. And so what I want to talk about a little bit this evening is what this God is like as a parent. And how that gets into the stuff that we've been talking about so far. And I want to talk specifically about God um, through the paradigm of mothering. You know, God made them in his image, male and female, he created them. And when a, a man fathers his children in a healthy way, it tells us a story about what God is like as a father. And when a woman parents her children and mothers them in a healthy, wholehearted way, it tells us something about what God is like as a parent. And to really understand the parenthood of God, we need to see the full spectrum. And I want to um, borrow from these five um, dynamics, five sets of dynamics that were identified by um, John Townsend and Henry McLeod. How many of you have heard of those guys? They wrote the Boundaries book. And they kind of define these five key elements of what makes healthy parenthood and healthy motherhood. And I just want to borrow these five key phrases, and then I want to pull in scripture and show you that God himself is the perfect parent to you. So the first key element of God's of parenthood, of healthy parenthood, what a child needs from a mother or a father, is safety. And safety comes from a person who is predictable, stable, and danger-free. Now, in my life, you know, my dad was unpredictable because he left. But my mom stayed. And she was, um, in many ways, a very, very good mother. She always kept the house clean. She always cooked meals. She always kept my clothes in good order. She always drove me wherever I needed to go. She was, in those ways, very, very reliable. But in an emotional sense, I never quite knew what I was going to get. I didn't know if she was going to be the kind of frazzled, fly off the handle because she's understandably overwhelmed kind of mum, or if I was going to get the more level-headed kind of mum. And my mum, you know, true to her own family culture, was not affectionate or, or beckoning in the way that I saw some of my friends' mothers were. And, you know, I don't blame my mum for any of this, and I am certainly not embittered towards her. I think she did the best she could. But for me, mum was not, in that way, a predictable person. And I don't know what your dad was like, and I don't know what your mum was like, but I do know what your God is like. Amen. Amen. And it says here in Psalm 32, I love this. You are my hiding place. Have you ever seen, this is one of my favorite things, when you're talking to a little toddler that, you, that doesn't know you, and they're standing next to their mother, and you say, oh, I like your pretty dress. And the toddler will hide behind the mother's leg, or if she's wearing a skirt, the toddler will hide 
and then they might peek around and look at you, but they, you know, they have their hiding place. Mother to them is a place they can go to hide. Well, God is your hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You know, when my kids were little, the one thing I did do was I always sang to them. And with my son Isaac, he's my second born, I made up this little song for him. And it just so happened that I never sang it to any of the other children. And when Isaac was about four, I would still sing him that song at night, but I would tell him, you know, I've never sang that song to anyone but you. You're the only person I've ever sang that song to. And when he got a little bit older, about 10 years old, he said one day, you know, he told his brother, he said, Sam, mom sang me a song and she never sang it to anyone but me. And I realized that really meant something to him. You know, your God, when you come to him, he's singing a song over you. And if me being evil, as Jesus says, can give good gifts to my children, how much more will the Father in heaven sing a song over you? And maybe a song that, that, no, that he's never sung for anyone else. And one of the key issues of, of healthy motherhood is this issue called containment. And that's where the mother or, or the father can provide a place for the child to feel at home and feel contained, whether they're happy or sad, whether they're angry or calm. And there's this, um, in, in this whole study of parenthood, there's this little key issue. It's a big word, but it's a simple meaning. It's called mentalization. And what it means is uh, like this. Let's say it's a baby's first birthday, and that baby is sitting on their little high chair, and the mummy comes along and puts a piece of cake right there on a the dish. Now, this is the first time this has happened in the baby's life, and the baby looks at this cake and looks up at mum, and mummy's going, <laughs> and the baby just grabs the cake and like smacks themselves in the face of it and then starts to slap it and there's cake going everywhere and icing. And, and, and the baby will look at the mum and the dad. And the baby is, is, their little brain is saying, what does it mean that I'm doing this? I don't even know what I just did, but I, I think I'm exploring. What does it mean? Who am I when I do this? And, and how do you treat me when I do something? And a healthy mother and father will go, oh, yes, that was look at you. Are you eating your cake? You know, there'll be all these smiling faces. And the little babies, you know, all these little things are firing in their brain. I'm doing things, and people seem to be happy. It's good to explore. It's good to be curious. I'm, I must be lovely. I must be, I must be worthy. I must be able to do really unusual things with this brown yummy stuff on my plate, you know? <laughs> but let's imagine another story where that happens and the mother or the father say, you naughty baby, you embarrassed mummy. Mummy made that nice cake for you. And look at you embarrassing mummy in front of all the bad, bad baby. The baby's gonna say, oh, I don't know what I did. And I don't think I was being bad. I think I just got misunderstood. You know, there's a whole um, myriad of different thoughts that go with that. And so this issue of containment and the, the key issue of mentalization is the ability of a parent to see in the child what it is they're really, really doing and not the thing that's just possibly perceived through their filter. I had this just recently with one of my daughters. Um, well, I can tell you who it was because she wouldn't mind, but... I was, we were driving on down here for uh, Sue Brower's uh, memorial service, and you know Scott and I realized once we hit Ohio that we'd forgotten the suitcase with the girls' clothes. So we left South Carolina with the girls in flip-flops and shorts, and we hit Ohio, and it was snowy, and my poor children are freezing, so we had to stop at the mall, and this was just a total bummer, you know, to have to stop and buy new clothes. <laughs> when you just want to get to Michigan. So we go into the mall and we're in stores trying on clothes and I was feeling a bit thin. You know, you feel a little bit stretched thin at this moment. 
And um, it was one of these unusual stores where there's a changing curtain in the middle of the store. Have you ever been into one of those? And so Lily was in there trying on a dress, and I pulled back the curtain to look to see what she had on, but she wasn't fully dressed. So she turned around and she pushed me out, like really hard, and I kind of went stumbling back. And I was so mad, and I stuck my head back in there, and I really kind of disciplined her harshly with my words, like, that was very rude. You know, you do not push me. I was, and she was kind of, and Scott tapped me on the shoulder, and I looked around the curtain, and he went like this. He said, she didn't do that to be rude. She did that because you embarrassed her. You pulled back the curtain, and people could see in there. You embarrassed her. I was like, oh, you know, I got it wrong, you know. And Peter Fanaghi, who's the key researcher on this issue, says, as long as we get it right 51% of the time, we won't damage, damage our children. <laughs> One and two, guys! <laughs> Here's this amazing, amazing thing called the power to repair. And with our kids, we have the power to repair. And so what I did was, when we got out of the store, I pulled her aside and I said, Lily, were you embarrassed? And she said... I really was. I thought people could see me with no clothes on. And I said, honey, I am so sorry. I said, I didn't know. I thought you were being really rude. And I said, and that kind of made me mad. I said, but now I understand you weren't being rude. And I'm really sorry I embarrassed you. And she said, it's okay, mommy. And we had like a little hug. And you know, the whole thing is fixed, right? Yeah, yeah. But it takes, like, it, it takes the power to contain. And with that child in particular, the one I just mentioned, I think she has been kind of the most emotional of all of the kids. And as a mother, sometimes that's really hard. Yeah. But I realized this thing with her, and I want to offer it to you, because maybe it will help some of you. I had this bright idea one day, because Lily would get really frustrated, kind of frustrated and angry about things that made no sense to me. And one day I had this thought, hmm, I don't want her to pull away from me when she feels that way. I want her to think I can take it. And so I said to her, Lily, when you get really, really mad, I said, you can come over to me and you can squeeze it into me and I'll absorb it all like a big sponge. So she would squeeze me as hard as she can and go, so she'd, be, so she'd squeeze me really hard. And I'd yeah, no, you're Lily. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's like 12 and really robust. I'm like, <laughs> you know, God can take it when you're anxious. God can take it when you're angry. And many of us learn that, you know, mommy and daddy much prefer it when I'm happy. And if I'm angry or anxious, that's the thing I deal with by myself. But God is not like that. He can take it. He can take your anxiety. He can take your anger. The second uh, key issue for healthy parenting that we need from a parent is nurture. And nurture is to do with being fed and nourished both physically and emotionally. And uh, Kathy, I know you studied this years ago, but uh, in the, you know, the 1980s when uh, specifically British and American doctors were going into Romania and some of the Eastern Bloc uh, orphanages, they were finding uh, children, toddlers and young children that were blind or deaf with no physiological reason. And what they discovered was this uh, condition called failure to thrive syndrome, where children that simply, they were given the right um, food, the right amount of hydration, but the lack of touch resulted in physiological maladies. Like touch is so important. Psalm 145 verse 15 says this, and I love this, everyone's eyes are on you as you give them their food in due time. I, I'll, I'll continue this in a sec, but I really enjoyed nursing my own children, and I am still glad to say around women that are nursing their babies. And Corinne, who's um, Chloe's sister-in-law, and Julie, where are you? 
Your daughter in law. I love that sometimes uh, we'll be somewhere with Corinne, maybe at church on a Sunday, and Corinne's been serving, and someone else has had Celestine. And they'll bring the baby back to Corinne. And when this baby sees that mama, because she's still nursing, she's like, you know, all eyes are on you. The scripture says you give them their food. And this baby starts to like, I must have you. You have something I want. It's like a baby raptor, you know. This kind of desperation and longing. And, you know, the baby had a sippy cup. It's not about hydration. It's not really that they're hungry because she's one years old now. It's about the connection. Everyone's eyes are on you. As you give them their food in due time, you open your hand and keep on satisfying the desire of every living thing. Wow. God, as a parent, opens his eyes and satisfies the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and graciously loving in all of his activities. Oh, to be graciously loving in all of my activities as a parent, you know. I'm not like that, but God is graciously loving in all of his activities. The Lord remains near to all that call upon him and to everyone who calls out to him sincerely. And it's always been amazing to me to think about when God made men and women, their physical bodies tell us things about the nature of God. And God himself, one of his names is El Shaddai, meaning the all-sufficient one, the all-nourishing one. And, you know, women uniquely can feed their babies from their own being. And this has nothing to do with body parts. It has to do with the very nature of God that spiritually he can feed you from his own resources. Jesus said, feed on me. God can feed you. And it's amazing to me that King David, who was a robust and some cases kind of bloodthirsty guy who tore apart lions and bears with his hand and went against giants on the field when he was just a boy. This manly man wrote these words in Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. If anyone had the right to be proud of themselves, it was David. But he's saying, I'm not proud of myself. I don't sit around thinking how great I am. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quietened my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And that word weaned to our Western way of thinking means, you know, a child that um, is no longer in need of nursing from his mother, but in the Hebrew word here, actually means a baby who has just been nursed by his mother. And so here's this manly man giving us this little window into his devotional life. Hey, when I'm with God, I sometimes feel like a baby that's just been fed. My soul feels that way. You know, if that was available to David under a covenant that is worse than the one we have, because we have a better covenant, we have better access to God than David did. We can be nourished by God. We can be nurtured by God. The next uh, key trait of parenthood that we need is basic trust. And this is the ability to invest oneself into a relationship. We must experience trustworthiness before we can trust others. Trust is learned Trust nurtures our ability to need and to depend. And I remember uh, before Scott and I got married, we were up at the School of Ministry in Toronto, and we were uh, dating. And one day, Scott said to me, um, I love you. And I said, I love you too. And he said to me, I need you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't say that. I was like... Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> How would anyone say that? <laughs> you know? um, so uh, I went to bed that night, and it really bothered me. In fact, 
I think I said something to him about it that night. I think I said, why would you say that? And he said, because I, I do need you. You know, I'm going to need you in my life. And I said, well, I love you, but I certainly won't need you. <laughs> Guys, this was 20 years ago. Be nice to me, okay? And I, I said, I just don't think it's right to say that you'll need someone. We only need God, but we love one another. And so the next morning, I kind of marched myself off to the directors of the school, Stuart and Lindley. And I said, guys, listen to this. Last night, Scott said this, and I said this. I mean, and they're looking at me like, hmm. And I'm like, do not tell me that I'm the wrong person in this story, okay? I don't want to hear that today. Not today, devil. <laughs> so I was, I was appalled to discover that I apparently had to need people. But for me, that went back. You know, to a little girl who very much learned to rely on herself. And the, the ability to trust and depend has been a learned and acquired skill for me. But what is God like? Psalm 91 says, Those who go to the God Most High for safety will be protected by the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my place of safety and protection. You are my God and I trust you. You are my God and I trust you. And one of the things we learn as we look at the biblical narrative is that in Psalm 22, David gives us this little key and remember, Psalm 22 is uh, a psalm where David is saying something about his own devotional life, but at the same time, he's prophesying the words of the Messiah. So, for example, in Psalm 22 is where David says, they pierced my hands and feet. But that's 700 and something years before crucifixion was invented by the Romans. So it's like a, a prophetic psalm. And in this psalm, David says, You are he who took me out of the womb. You made me to trust. You taught me how to trust when I was on my mother's breasts. So there's something about the containment of the mother relationship, the parenting relationship where a baby learns to trust. Now David said this thousands of years ago, but this is what we're learning today is that trust is something we learn in a safe embrace from our parents. And if, if that has been unpredictable to us, it is difficult to trust, but it is something we can learn. The next key issue that we need from our mums and dads is belonging and invitation. Belonging and invitation. Mothers and fathers, through their love, make us feel wanted, which transfers into later feelings of worth and confidence. This is not something we can achieve intellectually. This is not something we can achieve intellectually. This is not something we can achieve intellectually. <laughs> A mother's love gives us a place to belong from the beginning. And there's something so amazing about, you know, giving birth to a baby and holding that baby for the first time or watching someone else go through that. And just to see, you know, the, a mother's love is the love that will love you first. It will love you before you've got your master's degree or before you've done something well or before you've impressed anybody with your vocabulary or whatever it is. A mother's love will go, oh, you're wonderful, you're perfect, oh, I love you, you know, just this, you belong, you have a place, you, you have someone to come along with on the journey, you, you matter, you have a home with me. And it's amazing to me to see God manifesting that kind of parenthood. Jeremiah 1 verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
and ordained you as a prophet to the nations. This is God speaking to Jeremiah, and he's saying, before I even started forming you, I knew who you were. How is that even possible? Because God already knew there was a little bit of himself that he was going to break off and make you to show the world that piece of himself. You are plan A for showing the world a little piece of God. That's how he knew you before. And when he looked at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in Adam and Eve were all of the eggs for all humanity, all of the ingredients for the whole human race were in them. And when God looked at them, he saw you. He knew you before he formed you in that sense. And so even while you were being formed together, there was invitation all over your life. There was belonging to him and to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that invitation, that gravitational pull into the homecoming of God has been with you before you were formed and right as you were conceived. That's amazing to me. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, as yet there were none of them. And I remember being um, about 19 years old, maybe 20, and I had grown up in England and uh, had grown up in a Christian a non-Christian family, and in fact, to this day, uh, trying to be inquisitive and look back in my family line, I can't find one other person that was a Christian mm. on both sides, as far back as, I, as I've been able to investigate. Mm. And so I was kind of, you know, in a very godless family, and, uh, you know, I had been raised what you Americans would call pro-choice. And I was very strong on that. You know, why would there be any other option than a woman having the right to choose? That there was no other option in my mind. No Christian had ever presented to me an alternate way to consider this issue. But at 19 or 20 years old, I remember sitting in my bedroom in my house in England when I read these words, your eyes saw my substance being unformed and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, as yet there were none of them. I was instantly converted. An entire lifetime of, and I debated on this issue at high school. I was very strong on this. I was instantly converted. And I said, oh God, who has the right to take away your story? God has a story to tell through me and through you. And through every little baby that's formed. And no one has the right to deny God the story that he wrote before the foundation of the earth. It is the ultimate contemplation of pride and abhorrence that we could consider that any man has the right to take away God's story. And it was, such a, it was such a miraculous turnaround of thinking. And no man on earth influenced me for that change of thought. God himself convicted me with his word. And it pierced to the place where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. And I was instantly, instantly repentant. That was a powerful moment in my life, as you may be able to guess. <laughs> you know... In our little stories, sometimes we're thinking, well, you know, I know who I am. And, uh, you know, I'm not like this, but I am like that. And, you know. But I want to challenge you with something tonight. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I want to offer you something you may not have thought about before. And I want to say it like this. Don't be conformed to the pattern of your little world. How you were raised, how you think you are, and who you think you are. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what was the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God when he dreamed of you before he formed you. And he had an idea in his mind, even that we would say, well, I know what I'm like, and I'm definitely not going to do that kind of thing. You know, Do you really know who you are? I mean, did you see the blueprints? Did you see what God really, really had in mind? Or are you willing to keep changing? Are you willing to keep growing? Are you willing to keep asking him, am I there yet? Am I living the story that you dreamed of yet? And I think that when we come before the throne of God, you know, we think about judgment and evaluation and did we do right and did we feed the poor and did we understand everything? But I think I've come to see this new way of thinking about it that God would say, you did it! You told the story! You, you, you told the story. You showed the world the piece of me that I wanted to show them through you. You did it. Two thumbs up. And it's not just about the piety and the Christianity and that part, but it's about if you're a funny person, be funny. You know, my husband, Scott, is, is really a funny guy. He has really dry humor. And he came into this thing about a year ago where God spoke to him and said, if you're funny the anointing will flow because that's what I made you to do. So he has just been kind of unleashing his humor on our church on a Sunday. And everyone loves it. Like everyone's laughing. And, you know, and then he'll do some ninja move and get everyone really convicted right after he's made them laugh. And, but it, it just brings so much life. And when you are absolutely who you were meant to be, whether it's cooking a great meal or whether it's making everyone laugh, or if it's just being a really comforting person, or just being that really reliable person that is absolutely going to do what they say they were going to do, and it just crushes you to go back on your word, that's a part of God. That's the part of God you were meant to show everyone. A good word. You know? And, and sometimes we think about reflecting God into the world, and we, we have it categorized into a list of actions that are to do with helping the poor and all of that is important and prophesying and praying but what about just being the friend that absolutely shows up on time and what about being the friend that is going to bring a meal because that's how you show comfort and what about being the friend that you know you can go with your other friend and watch them try on 26 outfits and complain about their body and you're just going to say you look great get that outfit you know <laughs> god is all of those things this is what he's like the last key issue or point when it comes to what we need from our parents is very simple but very important and it's somebody to love a baby needs somebody to love. And when mum, in particular, is safe and predictable, we can love her. We can experience what it is to love someone else for the first time. I have this little memory then, Audrey. I will always remember your mum telling me a story because you were a little baby and I came over to your house one day when you guys lived on Howard Street and your mum was so happy and she said to me, oh, Audrey did the cutest thing today. You're probably only like six months old, but your mum had had you up on her shoulder. She was carrying you and you reached behind her back and you gave her a little pat on the back. <laughs> her back like, you know, like she would do for you. And she said, it was so cute. She was doing what I did to her. She was loving me. Oh. Isn't that so beautiful? Yeah. I love that. And a baby needs someone to love. And, and when mom is not someone we feel we can really love, there is the most tremendous sense of isolation and contempt that can really stir in the heart of a little one. It's a lonely, lonely world when there's no one to love. But God is somebody that you can love. God is somebody that I can love. He is lovable. And 1 John 4.19 says, We love God because he first loved us. And that's true of any child with their parents. 
we love because we're first loved. Isaiah 66, verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. What's God saying? He's saying, hey, you, you know I'm a father. I've been a father through all the ages and I've manifest myself that way. But also, there's this other element to how I want to parent you. And it's as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. What does that look like? You know, I think comfort kind of has sounds to it, like, oh, oh, you poor thing, oh dear, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You know, there's kind of, I love hearing mothers kind of coo over their children. Um, in Genesis, it says that when the earth was void and without form, that the spirit of the Lord brooded over the face of the deep. And that word brooded is the picture of a mother bird hovering over a nest, waiting for the little eggs to come forth. The brooding of God. And God broods over you. And not just when you were infants, but as you are still growing into becoming the story that God intended you to be. The Holy Spirit broods over you. He's calling you forth. He's, he's looking. Are you there yet? He's, he's cheering you on. And the amazing thing about understanding all of this is that Eve, the first Eve, was called the mother of all living. She was given her name by Adam after they were put out of the garden. And Hebrews says that Jesus is the, the last Adam, the second Adam. And in the same way that, you know, Adam was put to sleep in the garden and the Lord took a, a rib from his side and made Eve. When Jesus died on the cross and his side was pierced by the sword and the water and the blood came out, the second Eve, the church, was born. The first Eve was the mother of all living. I think the second Eve, the bride of Christ, is here on the earth to function as if she were the mother of all living. Come on. To Come become on. these things to a broken world. Yeah. And what if this community of women, let me read these things to you again. What if you as a community of women became those who could offer safety, if you could offer belonging and invitation, I need to look these up. If you could offer nurture, somebody shout out. Trust. If you could offer trust, and if you could give people who come in someone to love, come on, you would change Kalamazoo. Yes. You know, there are these amazing kind of word pictures. I, Isaiah 66 is one of them. It's a picture of Israel like a mother. And uh, Isaiah is saying, you know, all of the nations will come to you and you're, you're going to bounce them on your knee like a mother and, you know, you will be sucked and be satisfied by her breasts. I'm like, what's with all the breasts of the prophet Isaiah? It's got something going on here. But it's a picture of Israel being like a nursing mother and the kings of the earth coming to nurse from her. And that's all a bit... You know, what does that all mean? What it means is this, is that Israel had a call to mother the nations. The church has a call to mother the nations. And Deborah says, and I started our first women's retreat ever in 2004 with this, Deborah's song in Judges 5 verse 8. Deborah says, in Israel, village life had ceased. The community was broken down until I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And the arising of mothers in the church, in this community, in this region, restores community. Because mothers bring safety. Mothers bring nurture and nourishment. I was just saying, I know I'm probably going a bit long, but when these ladies, where are you guys, Andy and Joe, were at our church recently, we had our little ladies Bible gathering and we started talking about you know this issue of mothering and I said you know I was in Kalamazoo for 
um, seven years, and um, I remember a few really great sermons that Cameron preached. It's funny, the things that stick in your head. And I remember a lot of great, uh, you know, things that were shared. There's a lot of things I remember. When I think of this church, I think of Kathy and Beth showing up at those potlucks like machines. And as a, young, as a young wife, I was like, how is that? How do humans do that? Like, you just produce food. It just... It just comes out like, by, as, I don't know what happens, but they just, there's more of it. And then it'd be like, someone would say, we don't think there's enough food at the, the potluck. And one of them would be like, look, it's just more food. <laughs> and so, like, is it a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. You know, to kind of make community feel bountiful. And you know, not everyone has that gift, no. but those guys had that gift and they gave it to this community and they gave it willingly and they gave it graciously and they gave it generously. So not all of us can be all of these things. Maybe you're just the person that's going to be really safe for someone else. And you're not going to be the person that brings all the food. That's fine. You just be safe. Let the food people bring the food. You know, some of you are going to be the belonging and invitation people. Oh, hi, we're so glad you're in our church. We love you. Come, 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 come. Some of you are like, I'll just cook the food. You do all of that, you know. But it takes a tribe. It takes a village, right? Some of you are going to impart trust to people to teach them trust. David says, you taught me how to trust when I was with my mother. Some of you will teach young men and women how to trust again just through being there. Amen. Just through being there. Amen. Just never underestimate how profoundly impacting it is to look someone in the eyes and say, I know, I am so sorry. What can I do to help you? I'll be praying for you. Just to be there with someone. There's so much loneliness you know, in, in this region, in this town. And I just want to encourage you ladies to band together and become mothers. Amen. And don't trip up over what you don't have to offer. Just grab a hold of what you do have to offer and give it generously and give it with conviction. <coughs> Amen. 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 I want to pray a blessing. Can you make you cry tonight? Father, I just want to bless these women here tonight. And, you know, some of us had amazing moms and dads that gave us all these ingredients. And some of us just actually didn't get these ingredients. And I want to pray that, that you would arrange ways to put in these dear ladies here all the ingredients that they missed through the love and the support that flows in this community. That there would be a putting back of that which was missed. <clears throat> and I pray for a supernatural move over this community of women. Where that would become more and more the miracle story. Father, keep letting it flow. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow.